Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 359, recorded November 2nd, and I am Brian Aachen. And I'm Michael Kennedy. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Scout APM. Listen to more about them a little later in the show. Also, you can connect with uh, with us, Michael, Brian, and uh, Python, uh, Python Bytes. So we're at mkennedy, at Brian Aachen, and at Python Bytes, all on fostadon.org. And if you're listening in just your earbuds, you can join us live at pythonbytes.fm slash live, and you can be part of the uh, part of the audience. So, Michael, what do you got for us? Well, I have a quick follow-up to your Fostodon Mastodon statement real quick before we dive into the first item, which is very exciting. Uh, I know a lot of people will be excited to hear about it. But uh, Fostodon.org, the instance of Mastodon that many of us Python people are on, has gone invite only. Of course, you don't need to be on Fostodon to participate in talking with us or right. interact. Right? That's the whole point of Mastodon. However, a couple of people have said, hey, I'd really like to be on Fostodon and around you guys in that community, but it's invite only. I have a short-lived invite code for the listeners who promptly listen to our show if they want to join that later. Cool. Yeah, because nice. it's invite only now. Okay. All right. On to the first item. PyCon. Woohoo. We all love PyCon, right? Yeah. And this is one of the things I look forward to most uh, in the year in terms of events. More on that in a minute. Uh, but this is going to be, it's its time for it to be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So you can see there's a little airplane with a banner flying by on the website uh, that's saying Pittsburgh. So, and there's a snake on a building. Only once, it's not really the the Python snake though. Its eye is like more eardroppy, not circular. Anyway, it's there's a snake there by the community for the community. All excellent. And it's going to be a little later this year. I think it was April last year. It's going to be May 15th to 23rd in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, tutorials. What's really nice this year is they actually have uh, the sub-schedule time like prominently listed. I think the last time it was like, if you dug in, you could find what days the actual main conference was, but yeah. like, I'm not really sure. I want to do the sprints, when are they? The tutorial, you know, like it just had the whole broad range. So this is like the main conference is May 17 to 19. Two days before that are tutorials and so on. Okay, so it was in... Uh, Salt Lake City in the last two years. Previous, prior to that, it was in Cleveland, Ohio. I do have a, a minor beef with the location here. Like nothing against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is awesome. You know, I would love to go to Pittsburgh and meet people. But uh, the, the goal of kind of moving PyCon around so that different people, at least within the within North America, have a chance to have PyCon sometimes near them. Seems like, well, it spent two years in Cleveland. You know, Pittsburgh is only a two-hour drive from Cleveland. So it feels like it's kind of back in the same place again for, you know, now four years. And I would love to see it move more, lo more locations, right? Like maybe, maybe it could be in Mississippi or in somewhere like really, you know, different than uh, a sort of uh, short mid upper Midwest, you know, like just outside of the East coast there. On the other hand, East coast, that, that's kind of the densest part of the U S. So it does give a lot of people a chance to go to it. Are you calling people on the East coast dense? <laughs> Yes, they, they like to live in dense places. Okay. <laughs> there's just, if you look at like light maps of the US or just population maps, like there's way more people on the Eastern half than the Western half. And that's how we like it. All of us in Oregon, don't, don't, don't move to Oregon. It's horrible here. Yeah, it's so. horrible. It's rain. It, it's really cold and rainy. I haven't seen the sun for six years, Brian. <laughs> so people shouldn't come it's here. Terrible. Okay, but the super excited. The call for proposals is open. There's like a bunch of instructions under this little permanent um, 
elapsed menu, but you can go to speaking and it says proposing a talk, proposing a tutorial, uh, Sharla, posters, etc. All this is good. One other thing I did want to highlight, and this this makes me honestly really disappointed. So I hope people don't take this the wrong way. Health, health and safety guidelines. Okay, so we're nice people, it says, but us nice people are, are sick and diseased, many of us, uh, and masks are going to be 100% required and 100% enforced. And I don't know, you and I, we were both there last year, Brian. I kind of felt like, you know, from the CDC guidelines and from just the general society, like kind of people have vaccines, at least as options. Um, I've had, I just talked two weeks ago last week about how I got my fifth COVID vaccine and I had kind of a crappy weekend from it, but right there, the health crisis is kind of over. And I feel like this is not ideal. I, I would like to see it just be, I, uh, I've seen other conferences, like I think, uh, um, uh, the European ones often do whatever the local, the local rules are. Um, yeah. And I think that's what it ought to be. If you, if the local rules are open, then, I mean, I, I guess my thoughts are if people are really concerned about it and I, I legitimately understand if you're caring for somebody that's uh, immunocompromised or if you are, you're going to be concerned, but your entire route to this place, um, like you, the airplane and everything, there's going to be full, a bunch of people not wearing masks. And yep. so uh, I think mass mass optional seems to make sense to me. But. I I think it. Yeah, I agree with you 100. And I think this. So let me just take a step back. Last year, I feel like the experience of PyCon was quite degraded. I had a great time. I really appreciated the spending the time with people I got to and meeting the people that I got to. But the ability to meet people people and have conversations on like loud expo floor halls, it was hard to like hear them because they were talking like this you know um okay and so uh, you want to interview people there like people are like why are you taking your mask off like well i can't do a podcast with a mask on it's not gonna come out right and so for me 80 percent of the reason i go to PyCon is to meet people to network to record podcasts i did like the the seven different company series of um the startup row and the awesome episode with sebastian ramirez and samuel colvin and, and those types of things, like, that's why I go. And I feel like the mask stuff takes away a lot of it. I'm 100% supportive if people want to wear a mask. It doesn't bother me. I think it would even be totally good to say there's a section of the conference where if you feel uncomfortable and you want to get away from all those non-mask people, like, you can go over there. But I think, I know there's a bunch of people, I know there are people who are, are very still freaked out about COVID, very freaked out about traveling. But I think for every one of them, there's 10 people that are like, we can't live this way for the rest of our lives. We just got to get back to it. So yeah, I, the reason I care more than it just bothers me personally is I think this is not going to be healthy for Python, the PSF in the long term. I think it's going to cut. A lot of people I spoke to are like, I don't want to last year. They're like, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm going next year. I, if it's like this again, I'm, this is not great. The attendance, I looked, do I have it pulled up here? No. Uh, but you can look on Wikipedia and I link to it in the show notes. The prior years, it was like 3000 something, you know, 3,200 year over year over year was the attendance. And it was 2000 last year. Right. Yeah. And I think this is going to discourage more people from coming more than it will encourage the people who are really nervous about coming. And if it, you know, PyCon is the vast majority of income 
and revenue for the PSF. Like not a little bit, almost all of it. And so when policies affect who's going, who's not, that also, yeah, you found it right there. Yeah. I think people have to really consider like, okay, is there some sort of middle ground? So I don't know, the way it is right now, I'm probably not going to PyCon, okay. um, which makes me a little bummed out, but it was just, I was so wiped out and worn out trying to have all those conversations, loud spaces through mass, et cetera. So we'll see. I'm not hundred percent sure, but um, if you look at the, if you look at the, the final thing here, it says there will be no rolling back. Um, this is the, the most lenient version of the health and safety standards we're going to have. The only possibility is that we will have more restrictions potentially by the time the conference comes up. And for me, I don't know, it's, Makes me sad. I'm not. I'm not anti-mask. I'm not anti-vax, as I already pointed out. I wore a mask happily when there was an emergency. But you know, COVID is not going away. Like, is PyCon for the rest of our lives going to be this restrictive? Seems not like the best path. But I'm not in charge, and no one asked me, Brian. <laughs> um, well, so I, anyway, know. this this is my thoughts. I'm excited that PyCon's here. I hope people who want to go submit their talks. There's an online option. But there's a very small chance with this level of you must wear a mask, you must stay away from people, that it's going to be valuable for me to go. And I'm probably not going to. Okay. I haven't decided myself yet. So Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. well I'm sure this will come back. It's in uh, eight months from now, seven months from now. Okay. Um, for people wanting to, to submit a talk, uh, the again, the call for proposals is open. And it is open until the... Uh, end of the day anywhere so um on december 18th so you got from now to december 18th but don't wait until the 17th submit early because uh these poor people that are reviewing uh reviewing all of the proposals um i think it's good to get feedback early and start getting mm -hmm. things in early so yeah i think they even uh, they have traditionally had like submission men as a mentor the right word but people to help you if you were doing your first time submission to work with you. I don't know. I didn't see that this time, but I haven't dug into all the details. So. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Over to you. Well, uh, we covered uh, the rough formatter in September, I believe. And it's only been a month later, a month and a half. Um, but um, the rough formatter is now, it, we, we covered it when it was alpha. It was like, you can play with it. Um, and now uh, it is, um, I'll scroll to the bottom. They say, um, it is uh, production ready, so um, the formatter is is in a is still beta release, but they consider it production ready. And I've played with it enough; it, it's pretty awesome. So, um, what are some of the highlights? Uh, it is so the black format or black formatter, the rough formatter is mostly like black, but faster. So it's how much faster? It's like thirty times faster. Um, and then there's other. Uh, and black's already pretty darn fast. There's like a YAPF, which I never used, but apparently it's a uh, hundred times mm -hmm. faster than YAPF. Um, and, uh, uh, very compatible. It's very compatible with black, but also they list some of the differences. So we've got, um, uh, was it, Oh, this is a different, different one. So there's a, a link it's on this, this document also of, of what is different. So there's, uh, differences from black and, and it's so it's, it's very thoughtful to go through and none of these I would uh, disagree with. Um, so, uh, some, some reasonable changes from black, but have just having a formatter for your entire team is what was really important. I think, uh, so I also really like that recent recently, um, uh, rough has, uh, supported. So this is not part of the formatter, but that rough has built, brought in 
a lot more flake eight support and uh and and flake eight extensions and then also isort and pi upgrade are part of rough now also but the rough format is just kind of like black but faster so why not um anyway uh there's there's some some cool stuff about it it's more a little more configurable there's uh, a couple extra configurations you can do um i think that you covered that uh not too long ago um yeah i covered just the string side of things okay which is nice but yeah there's it's not a massively configurable but yeah there's a few areas that people seem to really really care about changing yeah and not changing I also, um, since it's been wide, widely adopted, we also have extensions for VS Code and uh, and and PyCharm that you can and IntelliJ PyCharm uh, that you can you can add on so that you can have the formatting done just right in your editor, which is great. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you can do things like when you I think in the PyCharm one, if you just hit the reformat code, I think it might even use rough format. I'm not entirely sure, but okay. I think you can make rough format be the you know format my code for me yeah um so i'm I'm pretty excited about this um uh i wasn't going to roll it out to the team with when it is in alpha but i'm if they if they say it's good i'm i'm good with it um we i trust charlie uh and and team charlie and team now so it's pretty exciting um also kind of in this the 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 article we're linking to he talks about um why they they wanted to do a formatter but also uh, it's kind of cool. He ta- talks about the Astral toolchain. So the company is called Astral now, and they, they talk about um, how this is the first non-linting, uh, app, you know, application that they've done. So they are that they were planning on branching out and doing more things around Python toolchains, uh, but um, faster with building it with Rust. So um, this is this is the first. So I, I'm excited to see where they go with this. Mm-hmm. So. Excellent. Yeah. So, you know, they go on and on about how much faster it is. And that's, it's, it's interesting to me because the faster aspect is kind of, um, it's like a, a sideshow amazing, but not necessarily why I would pick it. I know if you had 5 million lines of Python, yeah, it super, super matters, but most people don't, right? Um, like running across 350 Python files that make up Talk Python training, for example, website and APIs and stuff. And it literally is instant, which is like mind boggling. You say, format this, it applies all these rules, all these changes. And it's just like, done. 27 files changed, 324 not changed, or whatever it says. So it's awesome that it's fast. I mean, if it were too slow, I would maybe not use it. But to me, it's the configurability, right? The, like you can set the line length, you can set the string style if it really matters to you. Um, yeah, I think like for me, that's why I'm so excited about the rough formatter more than um, the actual speed because I have a, a 32 inch 4K monitor. Do I want like a little thin column of code because, you know, I want 80 columns? No, like I've, I've got it set to 120 and it still is only two thirds of the screen on a large font. You know, it's um, it just makes me more productive. Right. And um, I think I the last time I talked about this, I talked about how using the single quote is you know, significantly fewer characters potentially when you're, you're typing. And if you have RSI, yeah. like you always think about like keystrokes and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Anyway, so for me, that's, that's, that's what counts. Yeah. I, uh, for the, the string side, I haven't talked about this for a while, but there are, 
there are some applications where you're using a lot of double quotes and you cannot use single quotes in in the thing that you're using in the string that you're passing so um if you're using a lot of double quotes and stuff and i have a so i have an application where the api itself uses a lot of uh a lot of we have to pass in double quotes into the yeah into the api so all of the strings that we're pass setting up is single quoting makes way more sense so um yeah, yeah. and i also double checked one of the one of the reasons I use double quotes is if I'm going to say, and it's the way it should be in your code where you need an apostrophe, yeah. right? Or possessiveness or whatever. Uh, so then you could have a single quote, but then backslash escape the single quote. But if you put double quotes, there's no need to escape it. And I checked that if that, if it would go from double quotes and a back t or a, a quote over to needing the escaped backslash, rough won't change it. So yeah. it'll be single quote, single quote, double quotes. It's fun double quote and keep going i think that black cool. does the same thing i don't think that i'll have to check but i don't think black will change yeah. it if there's an embedded one so yeah yeah but yeah i'm not yeah. sure i wasn't i don't know for, at all whether it will but just thinking like if you if you say please use single quotes it's not like it starts putting escapes everywhere yeah, as well. yeah. it was all yeah. asking that yeah um whereas you can't do that in black um marco out there also points out that rough has a plugin to help upgrade from numpy one to two is pretty awesome okay didn't know that oh yeah that's cool that, yeah that's really cool that's pretty pretty great actually so it cool sure is all right well what's next brian well we'd like to thank our sponsor so this episode oh, yeah. is brought to you by scout apm are you tired of spending hours trying to find the root cause of issues impacting performance then you owe it to yourself to check out our sponsor this week scout apm Scout APM is a leading application performance monitoring tool that helps you identify and solve performance abnormalities faster and easier. Scout APM ties bottlenecks such as memory leaks, slow database queries, background jobs, the dreaded N plus one queries problem common with ORMs and more directly to source code so that you can spend less time debugging and more time building. You'll love Scout because it's built for developers by developers. Scout makes it easy to get set up and deliver insights in less than four minutes. Seriously, you could pause this episode, set up Scout, and be back at it without missing a beat. And the best part? Scout's pricing is affordable and straightforward. Only pay for the data you use, no hidden overage fees or per-seat pricing. Start your free trial and get instant insights today. Visit pythonbytes.fm scout. Please use our link because that truly supports the show. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting Python Bytes. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Scout. And uh, being able to look at your code and see like, okay, here's, these are the parts of my API or wherever else you're running that are slow or fast and it's in the data layer right now, like awesome stuff. So very, very cool service. Now, a couple bit of bits of feedback uh, from Kim here. One is having been on the talk reviewing side several times of smaller regional conferences, PyCons, indeed, please submit your stuff as early as possible. It makes it better for the reviewers, as well as uh, you can get feedback sooner. And confirmation black will leave strings alone that have one type of quote inside of the other, which is cool, as it should. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. All right. Uh, what have we got for the next one? This is so big, Brian. Is it really big? This, I, it's it's really big. This is what I'm, I'm the title I put, I know where is it written, but in our show notes, the title of the section will be gill minus minus semicolon. <laughs> Because it's C Python and Python has the gill, but the Python Steering Council has now formally accepted the removal of the gill in Python. Oh, cool. That is massive, right? Well, I thought it was, 
I guess it is massive, but I thought it was already decided. But was it, oh, it was kind of like tentative that maybe or something? I don't know. There was, I think, pretty, I think there was some pretty serious opposition to doing it because it has massive effects on all the sea extensions, mm. which, you know, why did we have this whole two to three drama? We had it because a bunch of the libraries that people use, right? When you say Python, you might mean the language or you might mean plus the 400, 500,000 other libraries you can use, the ecosystem. And the ecosystem would say, well, this thing that my library depends on doesn't support Python 3, so I have to stay on Python 2. And that went on insanely long. The same similar type of deal would be here. <laughs> Anything that has like a C layer that has any form of concern of concurrency or being used in a library that might now use it concurrently when it wasn't designed for it. So it's, it is pretty significant knock-on effects. Yeah. Okay, so this is PEP 703. It has officially been accepted, sort of, <laughs> sort of. In short, this comes from, uh, comes from Hugo on Mastodon. So again, follow us on Mastodon. That's where a lot of the action is. But uh, quotes the discussion over on discuss.python.org says, in short, the steering council accepts PEP 703, but with clear provisio that the rollout will be gradual and break as little as possible, and that we can roll back any change that turns out to be too disruptive, which includes potentially 100% rollback of PEP 703. So 100% rejection and a reversal, if necessary, however unlikely or desirable, undesirable we expect that to be. Mm, okay. Okay, so there's a couple of things to note. Like, let's go over to the discuss here. Actually, I had it already pulled up, didn't I? Go over to the discuss. Uh, we'll just go to the PEP. Now, this is by Sam Gross, and I've talked several times about how excellent I think some of the work that he's been doing, because it's not just the, the Gill stuff, but a lot of the... And the speed cinder and speed stuff has been inspired by um, Sam Gross and the folks over there. So it says, CPython's global interpreter lock, the gill, prevents multiple threads from executing Python code at the same time. You can have all the threads you like in Python. Only one of them will execute a Python um, um, instruction, uh, instruction code, like what you get out from when you say disassemble thing, right? Like load adder or add to list, that kind of thing. Um, so this PEP, to be very clear, this is a very um, small subset that only affects people that ask it to affect them. This It proposes that adding a build, not runtime, but a compilation for the CPython runtime that will let Python code run without the global interpreter lock and the necessary changes to make this possible, right? So when you compile it, if you pass dash dash disable gil, then you'll get a special output of python that doesn't have the gill that's pretty wild isn't it yeah um, i'm hoping that we'll like mere humans that don't want to recompile it can get a distro somewhere with it yeah i'm sure there'll be a like click here to you know alternative downloads get the concurrent python or yeah something like that right but the fact that it's not a not even a runtime flag but a com a compile time flag is pretty wild so Let's see. There's a, a couple of things worth covering here. Uh, it's a really long, it's a really long path. So let's see. So the Gill affects Python library usability. And this is one of the things that's pretty interesting. It says, look, there's a lot of libraries. Like they, they just go on and on about machine learning libraries and the concurrency machine learning libraries need. 
get the strong sense that Sam Gill and people he's working with do stuff with machine learning libraries in Python, and that's their main motivation here. But obviously, it has broader implications. But the example here is PyTorch exposes a multiprocessing-based API called Data Loader for building data input pipelines. It uses Fork on Linux because it's better, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, if you're going to do the weird tricks you got to do underneath the covers in Python to make the async stuff truly parallel, as in I have 10 cores on my machine, I want to use them all with threads or something like that. Or however, it the the top level API that you interact with is kind of janky. It has to take into account in certain things like objects can't be shared across multiprocessing processes, right? If it was threads, they could be, but they're not, so they can't be, et cetera. It says accessing GPUs within a data loader um, work, uh, worker quickly leads to out of memory errors because the context, like unlike threads within a process and all these different things, right? So basically one of the motivations is allow people building libraries to build cleaner, more self-contained, i.e. like sharing objects within a process better, right? Not just I want better performance, which is obvious. Uh, more stuff about, about this. So yeah, you can look through it. Like I said, it's it's quite the quite the deal. But one of the things that's interesting, like I, as I touched on, a lot of the things in Cinder actually make sense here. So this immortalization stuff about objects that have to have reference counting, because remember, the reference counting is what the gill is about. The gill is all about memory, not concurrency. It doesn't care about concurrency. It just needs the memory management to not be concurrent. So well, that's a bit of a problem if you have more than one thread. So it's about limiting, it's about managing memory stuff, but not, you know, making that not concurrent um, to make that better. So a lot of the changes here are like, well, how can we allow the memory stuff to be concurrent, basically? So one of them is immortalized objects. So for example, true, false, none, seven, none of those need to have a reference count because they just get created at the start of the process. There's only one of them. Right. There's no reason to like, oh, true's gone now. No one's using true. Oh, true's back. Right. There's just the one true. There's just yeah. one true. It's a singleton. And so all of those are what are now going to become what are called immortal objects. And pi increment and pi decrement, so basically adding and removing the number of users of that variable or object is a no-op now. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's good for you and me when we pass true and false around, even if we're not doing it concurrently. It's just less instructions to like yeah. use these structures, right? And it's uh, more shared memory, all those kinds of things. They also are adding this thing called biased reference counting, which allows, basically it says, look, we the problem before was we had like one number that said number of references to this object. And when somebody wants to change it, you could either lock the, the thread, take a lock and lock it every time per object, which is kind of crazy, or you just don't allow anybody to change it more than one at a time, hence the gill. So this one says, well, let's change it so that on the thread that created the object, it behaves the same, right? There's no locks, none of that kind of stuff. It just works on it, references it directly. But if it's shared, there's like a secondary count, like others, <laughs> other references or something mm. called bias reference counting, where those are um, managed in a thread safe way. Because most of the time, objects and things are not shared across threads. Even in a multi-threaded app, the little temporary variables and loop variables, those are still just on the one thread, right? Stuff that's shared is way less. So the reference counting is changing uh, to make that work. And what else? There's a bunch of pseudocode telling you this is some intense stuff. A uh, bunch of things about memory management, how that works, garbage collection, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm going to stop. People can dive into it. But 
this is the big deal. I think some of these changes will find their way just into Python period, like the immortal objects. Yeah. Right? There's no reason for that not to be in there. That would just be useful for everyone. But other ones like this bias reference counting, maybe be slower, maybe take more memory. So maybe you don't want that, for example. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I think that removing the gill will be a sea change in Python. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, no. I think you're right. I think it's, it's exciting. I think, you know, I've said this a bunch of times, like I haven't even looked recently. I'm pretty sure this, uh, this computer here has, I think 10 cores that I'm on right now. And if I run Python code, as hard as it can possibly go, it's 10%, right? And that's just, yeah. it would be better if that wasn't well, completely I, I baked actually, into the runtime. I actually hope that it's a, just kind of a non-event. Like it's a, just, we just don't have a gill anymore and people can stop complaining about that. And, and I don't care if things get a little, I mean, I like things to go faster. I don't care if it goes a little slower because of this. Um, it's going to go faster eventually anyway. Wait till the next round of CPUs comes out. Um, Right. It's the a, next uh, faster C Python yeah, release. Yeah. yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, and then also just um uh people having people in Python being able to get used to doing more asynchronous and uh, threaded things. Um I think that's a good thing for the language. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited. Uh, but a big part of me I, I understand the going slow and we don't we don't want to break everybody, but part of me was like just oh just do it and we'll clean up yeah. the mess afterwards. Um but, yeah. I understand the caution. Well, if they get it as a compilation flag, it's you know nothing nothing there to say that oh you couldn't possibly yeah. make that the way we compile Python that gets distributed in a few versions, right? Right, but eventually we're gonna eventually that won't be the case. Eventually we're gonna try to get rid of that. If if it all goes well, and a couple versions later yeah. or something, it'll be the def the default will be the no gill version or something, and with my guess and. And there'll be a flag to say to add the gill if you really need it still for a while. And then, then they'll work. Yep. Excellent. Anyway. I agree. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, there was just this thread on Mastodon, which you were copied on. I don't know if you saw it today, but asking what is Python 3.14 going to be called? <sighs> of course, it's yeah. going to be the, the symbol pi thon because 3.14, right? It's, it's so incredible. So maybe in, maybe in pi thon, it'll be the default you know when a couple years <laughs> yeah you have to pause and like do the eye thing python <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, yeah um it's gonna be fun to have that that episode's gonna be non-stop when we uh when it's time to talk about the upcoming release of python yeah yeah the uh, the other follow-on is like trying to guess when when uh when the release of uh three point one four point one five will come out like um <laughs> that'll be maybe a couple years after it'd be like a security release or something anyway mm -hmm. uh, yeah so ah oh well um it'll be good uh speaking of uh i don't know know what i was speaking of but uh i want to cover why the why the Django admin is so ugly <laughs> i didn't say it was ugly vince salvino says it's ugly so you're gonna get mail <laughs> no vince will <laughs> Anyway, I've noticed this before and, and kind of, I understand it now, but, um, I remember trying, so I'm, I'm doing a Django project now. I remember jumping into Django like years ago and I was surprised when I jumped in again and saw that the admin kind of looks the same as it did a long time ago. Um, 
and it was kind of and it, you know there's been some minor changes and stuff but okay this is actually a great article why is the django admin ugly um the there's like some great quotes in here um let's jump down to them uh the django admin is not ugly rather no effort was made to make it beautiful <laughs> a beautiful end user tool it looks like a developer made it. Oh, okay. I understand. Now. And that's from Got Ken uh, Whitesell. Um, the, another one, uh, the admin's recommended use is limited to an organization's internal management tool. It's not intended for building your entire front end around. Um, so the, yeah, yeah. So that's basically the gist of this. Also the Django admin was built for Phil. One of my favorite quotes. Um, this is from <laughs> Jacob Kaplan Moss. Phil being the, uh, what Phil was the Phil Cothan. Then editor of Lawrence.com. Yeah, because the history of Django is it's around like uh, newspaper publishing. Um, mm -hmm. And and so the I it's for it's a basically it's a database front end uh, for people that are adminning a, a site. Um, it's not intended for end user stuff. Um, so uh, I'm going to jump down. Uh, at, there was apparently a quote from uh, 0 0.9 days of admin. It's not your app. Um, and the gist of it, uh, where am I going to find it? It's from, comes from Curtis Maloney says, um, encouraging people to build their own management interface and treat the admin as a DB admin tool has saved a lot of people pain. The effort to customize it grows far faster than the payoffs. So the gist of it is it's intentionally not that pretty because they don't want it, you to intentionally try to make it pretty to expose it to end users. Um, it's supposed to be ugly. Um, it's not. Yeah. It's not ugly. Chris, it's just not supposed to be pretty. <laughs> Chris also says it's meant to be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, uh, I I I appreciate the honesty of like, yeah, we know it's look looks like that, but it works. It's it's like the uh, it's like the Craigslist of admin interfaces. Um, so <laughs> oh, it's fancy for Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, good, good, good write-up, Vince. So thanks. It is, and I think it's also pretty interesting to remind people, like you know, really, it's meant for people running the website, not something that should be user-facing. Well, yeah, right? and even that, like, if you're, you wouldn't, you'd have another interface for like uh, the writers writing stuff. But if if there was like a quick like typo or something like that, somebody can just hop in and change the database. Um, so and, yeah, and I have appreciated it. There's been a lot of things that I've put together that um, the having the admin interface there is better than going right into the database, you know, do using SQL to change stuff. Um, and, uh, and often I don't have any user facing admin. It's just a, it's, it's just showing the data that's stored in there. So anyway, I, it's fine. Yeah. Blaze out there suggests maybe like using textual to create a TUI admin. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's replace it with something. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah, say definitely uglier. you won't get nor you definitely won't get regular users to fire up an SSH <laughs> session and do we into it? No, yeah, but I'm 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 waiting for somebody to build like because textual uh, can build textual can have web interfaces now too. Yeah, or, actually, yeah. So you could have a a you could do a, a like a skin on top of the Django admin admin and have it be a textual based thing. That'd be fun. Yeah, so, indeed. Anyway, waiting for that. All right. Uh, that's our items. Um, uh, do you have any extras for us? I'm feeling extra today. I do. Okay. Let's see. First of all, this is a two points in time sort of thing. Andy McKay on Mastodon says, uh, what was it before? It said the, the PSF, as in at the PSF, no longer is going to use X Twitter. I've, you know, 
so many places are saying X, the place, you know, formerly known as Twitter, like what an insanely big fumble with branding, like after six months that people can't just say the name. Like people say meta, people know what they're talking about. They don't have, they don't say X, you know, the thing that used to be Twitter. So I propose we just call it X Twitter because a lot of us are not on X Twitter as much and it has X and it also tells you it's Twitter. So anyway. How about so, Zitter? Like just <laughs> take take off the TW, just be a Zitter. Yeah, yeah there you go. Mm, yeah. So uh, the big news, really the reason I bring this up is the at the PSF is now on Bossadon.org. So therefore on Macedon in general. Nice. And I encourage you to go follow them. They have a lot of followers, I believe already right away let's see yeah nine thousand followers which that might not sound like a lot but for mastodon that's a lot so uh we can get them a few more today check that out yeah that's like However, dog years but yes exactly so now the um the post is updated saying oh they might actually come back because they originally said they're they're leaving twitter they're leaving x twitter but they actually might still use it nobody's really sure anymore but at least they are on Fossidon. so that's cool check them out yeah <laughs> I have a feeling that there's a lot of like Twitter people that are, it's right only. Like I'm a right only, I've got a Twitter account, but it's right only. I don't, I, yeah. I check it like once a month or something. So yeah. Mine's kind of like regular expressions as well. Right. Only. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I will, I do, people do send me messages there and I appreciate that. And I go check them out, but in terms of like having conversations. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that's one. I have others. A uh, big new announcement for a new course, Data Science Jumpstart with 10 Projects. Ooh. This is awesome. Yeah. Th a little over three hours put together by Matt Harrison, who knows his his data science things. So a lot of cool stuff that you can learn through here, basically exploring 10 different data sets, um, like working with student CSV information, um, Excel integration, um, merging merging data across different data sets, like an Airbnb data set example, and so on and so on. So if people want to check that out, they can uh, see the link in the show notes. So that's a really, really fun one. Definitely encourage you to check it out. All right. Uh, we've talked a lot about AIs, chat AIs, chat GPT, et cetera, et cetera. Have you played with GPT for all? No. I believe this might even be some Python going strong here. Let me double check really quick. Yeah, 13% at least. So GPT for all is um, kind of a chat GPT interface, but it's open source, it's free. It runs on the three main platforms, Windows OS, uh, since OS X or OS 10, no, it's Mac OS, but whatever, and Ubuntu. <laughs> um, so you can get, uh, get for those um, three platforms. And basically it gives you a list of maybe eight or nine different models that you can download and run locally without sharing your data with anyone else just run them locally. And you could also try out the different, like the llama models versus the open AI type models and others. Mm. So if you want like a local and free and pretty good, actually, I tried it out and it, it gave me some really good answers for a couple of questions. Um, using the, I use the wizard model, which it gives you the, like it says, hey, give me some bullet points about this or give me some ideas on this. And it will like give you the thing Then it gives you like says hash. Here's why I suggested that. It highlights this and it features this aspect. This other thing, does it in this way. And here's why I chose that one. And it's, it's pretty interesting mm, nice. and open source and free. So, you know, easy to try. Cool. Let's see. That's the same one. Finally, Brian, my last extra is in, I already hinted at this at the beginning, but in the show notes, I have an invite. If you want to be on Fostodon, again, there's like a thousand instances on Mastodon. Go crazy. Pick the one that's for you. But if Fostodon, like the, the at PSF folks, they're on Fostodon. 
uh, you require it's requiring an invite now. So I have an invite that is good until November 7th, and you can go and click it and accept this if you, as long as you um, like the policies. Don't make us look bad. <laughs> be nice. That's what it's about. That's why it's invite only. Yeah. And extras. when you take advantage but, of that, be sure to subscribe or uh, follow all of us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Follow us. Cool. Nice. Um, uh, are you done with your extras? I'm done with my extras. You got anything? Okay. I'll t- uh, we were talking about PyCon and I want to plug uh, local conferences. So um, when people are thinking about the footprint of traveling across the country or traveling to a different country, um, I like the idea of more local conferences. And uh, I like that like Pi Cascades is great and it travels between um, uh, Vancouver and Seattle and in Portland. It's going to be in Seattle next. This, uh, the, this article I'm highlighting is um, talking about Copenhagen, Django Day Copenhagen, which is already passed, so don't try to go there. Um, but it, it's just basically talking about how maybe it's better, maybe we would be better to, uh, instead of shipping the people around to see speakers, maybe we could just ship the speakers around to the people um, and doing that. Um, I actually think it'd be great to have more local conferences that have more sponsorships that actually help out with the travel for speakers. That'd be great. So that's one of my extras. Yay, local conferences. Uh, I wanted to highlight what I was doing at 11 o'clock on Tuesday. I was getting ready for Halloween. Um, so oh, that's spooky. On uh, Fostadon, <laughs> I've got I've got some uh, pictures of our decorations. So we were getting ready for that. Speaking of uh, Fostadon, one of the something I saw today was uh, um, this this awesome uh, crossword puzzle with wow. hints in regular expression. <laughs> no way. <laughs> this is, this is great. Um, uh, anyway, well, got, got a link to he, this person, uh, refreshing apathy, um, got it from a MIT mystery hunt puzzle index, uh, which includes both the puzzle, a puzzle link and, um, but also the answer sheet is there. So, um, this is, this is just insane as far as a crossword puzzle goes. <laughs> And so it's in not seven or eight years when you solve it, you can check and see if you got it right. Yeah, but it's not words. It's just random. I, I'd like to see it have actual words. Be be fun to do that. So, those are my extras. Excellent. <laughs> that that crossword puzzle is nuts. It reminds me of uh, twenty five way rock paper scissors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that? It's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. All right. So, you ready for a joke? I am. So this one uh, is, says, when you search YouTube for days to fix a specific bug. Okay. You know, my, uh, my slogan is you're never hardcore enough for YouTube. Like if you search, if you watch three videos on something, like 50% of what it's going to show you the rest of the time is just that. Like I was just trying to assemble my furniture. I'm not the world's biggest fan of like furniture construction. Like, well, YouTube thinks you are now. So this is kind of that version. Like when you search YouTube for days to fix a specific bug, <laughs> once it starts the video, it suggests not everyone should code recommended for you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so bad. You don't want me to in code? Eight, in eight minutes and 47 seconds, you should abandon all hope, says the video. That's well, how long it is. I kind of want to watch that video now, though. I was trying to find <laughs> I know, that. I do, too. <laughs> poly, it's Not Everyone Should Code by Polymatter, apparently, is what it says in the screenshot. Yeah, and they've got a black check mark. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, thanks again for a wonderful episode, and thanks Scout APM for sponsoring, and thanks everybody for showing up and watching the show. Yeah, you bet. Bye, everyone. Bye.